This morning, as we look into the book of Exodus, we're going to begin in chapter 7, where we're going to pick up in the story. And we've been talking about the God who rescues. And whether you realize it or not, every single one of us, yes, you, you need rescuing. And our great God is the only one that can bring that about in our lives. And today, uh, we're going to focus in on God's Passover. Anybody else besides me get excited about July 4th? I love the July, I love July 4th. I get, I love it. I love the fireworks. I love the freedom. I love being reminded that freedom is not free. Well, uh, we as a family, we've noticed we do something every year when we watch fireworks. It seems like at some point, doesn't matter who it is, at some point, someone within our family notices the big fireworks show going, and all of a sudden it gets a little bit bigger, and somebody says, I think this is it. I think this is the end. I think this is the grand finale. And then it kind of tapers off, and then it builds back up again, and somebody's like, no, you were wrong. It's going to happen now. This is it. This is the grand finale. And then, of course, you know, about the third time, Dad thinks he's got it all figured out. Kids, this is really the grand finale. And then it comes and it goes. And then finally, at some point, the grand finale happens. Much like our story in the book of Exodus. The people of God who are in slavery think that their freedom is finally going to come. They think finally God is going to bring them out of the bondage that they're in. But almost the same way as that fireworks show in which the excitement would come and the excitement would go. And it's coming. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, no. That's what we see happening in the story of Exodus. So we have two groups of people in the book of Exodus. Very important to know this in the story. We have the Hebrew people. These are God's chosen people. And understand, they're God's chosen people just because God's good, not because they were good. And God chose them, and he's working in their lives. And they've been stuck in slavery in the country of Egypt for hundreds of years. Everybody at this point that was a part of the Hebrew people, it's all they'd ever known. They were born into slavery every single day of their lives. Since before they could remember, they would get up and they would do whatever their slave masters would tell them to do. And there they are laboring and suffering in the country of Egypt. You have the people of Egypt, which were the slave owners and their slave masters. You have two leaders, Moses that has emerged onto the scene as the leader of the Hebrew people. And you have Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians and really of the known world at the time. And so they are coming together. Moses has gone to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And um, Moses goes back to him and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. In fact, Pharaoh, when Moses mentions the name of God, Pharaoh's like, who are you even talking about? I don't, I don't know about your God. We have our gods, and, and we have who we worship. I don't even know who you are talking about. And so as the story continues, we see Moses begin to do what I would call some crazy stuff. God's showing up, doing some crazy stuff through him. We call them the plagues, the ten plagues that we find in the book of Exodus. And over and over again, God brings these blows, I mean these heavyweight bout blows, in which you think that one's going to do it. This one's finally going to knock Pharaoh out, and he's going to say, you can go. But back and forth they go, let my people go, no, let my people go, no, back and forth, back and forth. And just when you think Pharaoh's going to let him go, he doesn't. Therefore, these words might get stuck in some of your heads if you think the way I do. I see a little silhouette of a man, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the Fandango? Exodus chapter 7, verse number 5. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's perfectly okay. Exodus chapter 7, 
verse number five. Listen to what God says in the midst of this story. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So if you're wondering why the delay is there, and if you're wondering why that blow didn't do it or that blow didn't do it, God had a plan. His plan was to free his people, and he's going to do it. And in freeing his people, he's going to prove to Pharaoh and his people that he is the Lord. He is the Lord. And so now we begin to see the ten plagues take place in Egypt. These these acts of divine justice by God to show that he is the true and living God. And every one of these plagues runs straight into the face to debunk and to dethrone God's little g of the nation of Egypt. Every one of these plagues say, I am the Lord and your God is not. It starts out the first plague of water turning to blood. And if that grosses you out, it does me too. Just the idea of any water turning to blood. And the scripture tells us that all of the water, including the river, turned to blood. And so there they have all their drinking water is gone. Now it's blood. All the fish that are in the rivers are dead. And God starts out with this serious blow of turning their water into blood. The second plague that we see in Scripture as you go on throughout Exodus chapter 7 and 8 and 9, God sends frogs. Any frog giggers in the house? God sends frogs, and it says frogs are everywhere. Frogs are outside of their houses. Frogs are inside of their houses. Frogs everywhere. And eventually it says, God said, all the frogs shall die, and all the frogs died. Can you imagine having a house full of dead frogs? And I tend to believe that God kind of, if he wanted to, could have, and maybe he did speed up the decomposition process just a little bit. Can you imagine the stank that must have existed with the frogs dead in your house? And so you've got this blood in this first one that, that dethrones the gods of the Nile. They believed that there were gods over the Nile. Then you have these frogs. They literally had a goddess that was the frog goddess. I don't know why you would have a frog goddess, but they had a goddess that was the frog goddess, and they worshipped her, and they were enamored with frogs. The third thing that we see, the third um, plague is that of gnats. Gnats. Some scholars suggest that these were more like lice creatures. Anybody else? Can you imagine your house and your home, your family getting infested with gnats and or lice? Everywhere. Everywhere. This is God dethroning the God of the desert because it literally says that the sands of the desert became these insects. And God's saying, the God of the desert that you worship is not the true and the living God. Now these first three, as you're seeing on your screen, the blood and the frogs and the gnats. 
They affected all of the people of Egypt, Egypt, and they also affected all of God's people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people. But from this point on, when it went to the fourth plague, God decided not to affect his people anymore, but only to affect the people of Egypt. So he protected his people at this point. The fourth thing that God sent were flies. Now think about the order just a minute. Blood, frogs, gnats, then flies. A little ironic, don't you think, that God didn't say, okay, blood, gnats, flies, then frogs? He went, blood, frogs, gnats, then flies. I don't know about your house, but if there's one fly in our house, dinner stops. Right? I mean, where's the fly swatter? Kids are trying to catch it. Tea's getting spilt. I mean, like, we've got to get this fly. Flies everywhere. Just an infestation of flies in your home and everywhere you, go, everywhere you go. They literally had a God for flies. And God is saying that God is not true. I am the true and the living God. The fifth plague that we see in Scripture is the death of livestock. And so here you had all of this cattle and all of these, um, uh, this livestock just falling over dead. And you got to think, man, this is it. Surely Pharaoh's going to give in. Surely he's going to say, get out of here. I don't want you anymore. And let the people go. But as it would have it, it did not cause Pharaoh to say, you can go. And this dethroned the cattle gods of Egypt. The sixth plague is that of boils. Boils coming up upon the skin of the Egyptians, every Egyptian. Again, at our house, when we have the tiniest of boo-boos, we are bringing out Band-Aids, and we are putting on ointment, and we are trying to get rid of the itch and the scratch and the problem that comes with it. Can you imagine your entire family having boils over their entire body? The pain, the fiery burning that would take place as a result of it. Surely at this point, Pharaoh, when he sits down on his throne, feeling some of those very boils when he would have this conversation with Moses, surely at this point, he's going to say, you can get out of here. But no, he resists. And God dethrones the Egyptian gods of health and disease. The seventh plague is that of hail. These huge pieces of ice that were falling out of the sky that we've seen in storms. It came with thunder and it came with lightning. And therefore, most believe that the hail fell and also that fire came through the lightning and through other things that God would send out of the sky that were on fire. Even if there was enough time between the boils, imagine the sensitivity of your skin getting hit by the tiniest of hail. And there you are getting just pelted by this humongous destruction of hailstorm, destroying everything, crops and homes. It literally destroyed many, many things. God saying, your sky goddess, goddess and your crop fertility God and your storm God, they're not the true and living God. But it didn't stop there. There was an eighth plague. It was that of locusts. And these locusts came forth and they devoured all of their crops. And again, God saying, your crop fertility God is not the true and the living God. And then the ninth plague came along. Utter darkness 
Literally not being able to see your hand in front of your face. God blocking the sun completely. And again, God making this happen within the people of Egypt. But you do go on down to the land of Goshen, just right on down the road where the people of Israel lived. And they had light. But God said to the Egyptians, you're not going to be able to see a thing. I don't know about you. Darkness doesn't freak me out too bad. But can you imagine not being able to see your hand in front of your face? Not being able to flip a switch on the wall to turn the lights on to illuminate everything. They experienced this. And God said to the people of Egypt, Your God, your false God, the God of the sun, is not the true and living God. And in fact, the God of the sun that they worshipped had a, had a symbol. And that same symbol was used for that of Pharaoh. And it's as if God is saying, Pharaoh is not your God. He is not your true Master. Now look at Exodus chapter 11 and verse number 4 through verse number 6. We have these nine plagues, these nine just horrendous things happening in the life of the people of Egypt for God to say, let my people go. And there's one more blow left because God said, I'm going to make clear to the people of Egypt that I am the Lord. And so he's been dethroning all of these gods. And look what he does in Exodus chapter 11 and verse number 4. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. And this is intense and it's graphic. At midnight tonight, I, meaning the Lord, will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt. Now I want to pause. I want you to catch the intensity of that. I want you to catch the severeness of that. I also want to remind you, if you can go back and remember what we talked about early on in this story, this story began with Pharaoh trying to squash the people of Israel and coming through and taking their firstborn sons and doing what? Throwing them into the Nile. And now God says, I'm going to pass through. And he says, I'm going to cause every firstborn son to die. Again, verse 5. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise through the land of Egypt. A wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. Can you imagine this moment that Moses, by way of God, is predicting will happen within the land of Egypt? Can you imagine the pain, the suffering, the screaming that's going to take place as a result of God saying, I'm going to cause your firstborn to die? So we have this 10th plague, this final blow, this death of the firstborn, which God is going to use to make known what we know as the Passover. And God sends this, and it's a terrible, terrible thing. God goes on to give his people, the people of Israel, instructions. And his instructions look like this. Take a lamb or a goat, a young lamb or a young goat. Find the best that you can the most perfect lamb that you can find. I want you to kill it. 
I want you to take its blood and I want you to put it upon the doorpost of your home. And then I want you to eat that lamb or that goat. And when you do that, I will see that blood and I will pass over. That's how we get this name, Passover. I will pass over your home. And God issues this decree to the people of Israel. Now imagine this scene. The Lord goes to an Egyptian house and there's no blood. And he strikes down the firstborn. It's a horrifying thought and picture. And I know that this story probably raises a lot of questions in minds, questions that I have probably as well. But one thing we definitely need to see here and you don't need to miss. Redemption, bringing someone out of what they're in into where they need to be and where they are supposed to be. Redemption comes at a very, very high price. And the price is terrible. God didn't just usher the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery. A price had to be paid for their freedom. Notice John chapter 1, verse 29 on your screen. And and what we talked about ought to bring greater weight to what we're about to read. Look at the quotation mark. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Keep in mind the Passover and the seriousness God takes when people don't do as he asks us to do by faith. He says, look, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the way I have my sin removed, the way you have your sin removed is through the Lamb of God, Jesus, God's one and only Son. John 3.16, you're familiar with it, but don't miss the hugeness of it. For God so loved the world so much that he gave what? His one and only Son. And then the Lord went on to the next Egyptian home and to the next and to the next And to the next. Then the Lord comes to an Israelite home. He looks inside. He sees the Egyptian idols. If you don't think that the people had been there long enough to start worshiping the false gods of Egypt, you are missing it completely. They had bought in. He sees the idols that they were bowing down to for hope and for deliverance. But then he looks at the doorframe and he sees the blood that's been applied. And because of his grace and because of his goodness, he passes over that home, not declaring death upon that home that he could have. You see, the Israelite people, listen to me, they weren't any better than the Egyptians. They weren't. The Israelites deserved death just like the Egyptians. Imagine for just a minute your worst moment. Like, I don't want to go there. That moment that you don't want to remember, that moment that you hope others don't find out about, that moment when you blew it like no other moment, that moment where that sin still haunts you. When we think about that sin, we sometimes can't imagine how God could possibly forgive. Please please know that it was for that moment that Christ died for you. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Here's what I want you to get. When you give God your worst, God gives you his best. When you give God your worst, God gives you his best. Is that a fair deal? No. 
But God says, I see you and all that you've done. I look inside of your home. I see your idols. I see what you're bowing down to. I see what you're enslaved to. I see what you go to for comfort. I see what you go to for relief. I see what you go to for hope. I see all of that. But because of your willingness to place your faith in me and my blood, the blood of my son, I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you my very, very best. I'm going to give you grace. And I'm going to give you forgiveness because of my son, Jesus. Again, we just like the Egyptians, we have our idols, those things we trust, those things we run to, those things we find security and comfort in that we lean on, that we bow down to, and that we worship, and that we see as our greatest satisfaction. But while you were still a sinner, in your worst moment, Christ died for you. The Passover teaches us that no debt of sin is too great No debt of sin is too great to be forgiven because of the costly sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. When you give God your worst, God gives you his best. You see, with me and with you, when God sees his blood applied, he passes over us. It's not because we deserve for him to pass over us, but because he's good and because he's faithful and because he's full of grace. How do we get this blood applied to our lives? By faith. By faith. Now, if you have faith, that's nothing to brag about. You gotta understand the way that the people of Israel applied this blood to their doorposts. They did it with a hyssop branch. So I want you to think of a branch that kind of came out and kind of had a, a almost a brush ending on it. And they would take that and they painted that blood. What you gotta understand is the, the stick or the stem of that hyssop branch was very, very frail. Very, very frail. You see, when these people applied the blood, they didn't place their faith in their faith. They placed their faith in the blood. Some of you right now are struggling to get going in your Christian walk because you're trying to place your faith in your faith. And what you desperately need today is to place your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because your simple, little, small faith, and I say that with all due respect because mine's probably even smaller When it's placed in the blood of Jesus Christ, he brings you out and changes you forever because of his goodness and because of his grace and, again, because of the wonderful, powerful work of the blood of Jesus. When you give God your worst, God gives you his best. Now, now let's flip it for just a minute. Imagine your best day. Does that make you feel a little bit better? Imagine your best day. You know that day when, man, you were just, you were doing it. Man, it was good. You went to church that day. You read your Bible that day. You smiled at everybody that day. You were even kind to that person that just, oh, get on your nerves. You were, it was just a good day, man. You, you just, whoo, you went for it. You went for it. When it came time to eat, you were the one that volunteered, said, today I'm the one that wants to pray. I mean, like you were just all over it that day. You had a best, best day. In moments like this, we might be tempted to think that we're having such an awesome Christian performance that we deserve the forgiveness of God. God likes me. I'm on his team. But the Passover, this incredible teaching that we find from the story of Exodus, teaches me and teaches you that even on our best day, we desperately need the forgiveness of of Jesus. Our debt is so great that even if we had a lifetime of perfect days, we couldn't pay God back. 
even on your best day. Sin still separates you from God. It's the blood that causes the Lord to pass over us, to forgive us, to show us grace and mercy. I've got a question I want to pose to you on the screen, and that is this. Will you receive the blood of Christ by faith? And I want every person in this room to consider this. I don't want you to check out and say, man, I I prayed that a long time ago. No, listen to me. Will you receive the blood of Christ by faith? Because here's what I know. Even if you received Christ a long time ago, you are still as in need of Christ today as you ever were. You need the blood in your life like never before. If you don't think that Satan's after your family, you are sorely mistaken. He is. You need the blood applied to your home to protect you. If you think he's not after your marriage, he's after your marriage. You need the blood of Jesus to protect you. He's after you in every shape, form, and fashion that he can. And for some of you, you are lost and you are stuck in your sin and you need the blood applied and you need to be freed. Imagine being forgiven by God for all, listen to that word, all of your sin. Even, even that one? Yeah, that one. Even that one over here that I don't think anybody else knows about? Yeah, that one. Can you imagine being forgiven and cleansed, being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Being, imagine being able to leave your idols behind, your pet sins behind for something of greater value. Now, I've told you, and I don't know if you've caught it yet or not, freedom's not about being comfortable. And if you think that you're going to leave the way that you've been living life and you're going to step into freedom and everything's just going to feel Dandy, I'm just here to tell you, freedom's very, very uncomfortable. You are stepping into the unknown. You are saying, I'm going to leave behind what I know and what I have found comfort in and what I've found hope in, believing that in freedom there is Jesus and he has something better for me. But I'm here to tell you, when you take on Jesus, it's very, very uncomfortable. But it's better. And it's free. And it's different. And it's going to change you. I want you to catch Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, 12, and 13. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse number 11. This is God speaking to the Israelite people who he's already given them instructions. Hey, find a lamb, kill it, apply the blood, eat it. Look what it says, verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. So in other words, let me, let me kind of help us out here a little bit. If you're a person that is like, I believe in Jesus... He's my savior. I'm a follower of his. He is mine. I want him. I want what he has for me. I believe that what he's got for me is best. Then these instructions apply to you. This is what God is telling me and God is telling you to do if you believe. Look, it says, these are your instructions for eating this meal. Check this out. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. 
but the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. I want you to go back to verse number 11, and I don't want you to miss what God's saying to me and what God's saying to you. Even if you prayed to receive Christ 30 years ago, you've got to not miss this. God is saying to me and God is saying to you, if you're going to trust in the blood, then I'm going to pass over you and I'm going to get you out of here. Therefore, don't stay where you are. Put your clothes on, put your shoes on, pick up your walking stick and don't stay in your slavery. And that's where many of you are today. You believed in Jesus, but yet life hasn't changed for you. He's opened the prison doors wide open. You've decided to sit right there in your slavery. And you know what he's saying to you? Put your shirt on, put your shoes on, get your walking stick. I've applied the blood to your life. You have the ability now to get up and to leave it. You don't have to stay stuck in that addiction anymore. You don't have to stay stuck in that lifestyle anymore. You don't have to stay stuck in that sin anymore. I've got a plan for you to get you out. How crazy would it be for the people of Israel? People of Israel, to have been freed through the plagues and the Passover and say, you know what, I think I'll just stay here in Egypt. You know what every one of us would have said? You're out of your mind. You're crazy. Why would you stay there in that slavery? And yet some of us are doing the same thing in our walk and in our life. We've believed in Jesus, but we've left our shirt off, our shoes off, and our stick is on the floor. And what we desperately need to do today is put our shirt on, put our shoes on, put our stick on, and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Where do you want me to go? Because here's what I know. When you believe in Jesus, he does not want you to stay where you are. Because let me tell you where you are. You're stuck in slavery to sin. I don't know what that sin looks like for you, and I don't know what that sin looks like for you, and I don't know what that sin looks like for you, but I'm here to tell you, you're stuck in some slavery to sin. And Jesus says, I don't want that for you anymore. Don't waste my blood. Don't cause me to open the prison doors wide open and you stay where you are. Put your shirt on, put your shoes on, pick your stick up, and let's go. Let's go. Jesus is God's one and only son. And as powerful as it was for the people of Israel to take a lamb, to kill it, spill the blood out, apply it to their doorpost, eat it by faith, spend the night waiting for God to look inside their windows and see everything that's in there that he's not pleased with, and then look at the blood and then pass over them. So much more does the blood of Jesus have power today in our lives to free us and to redeem us today. You see, Jesus, listen, he completely fulfilled the Passover Passover. Christ is our Passover. I don't have to get my family together tonight. I don't have to kill a lamb and put the blood out and eat. I don't have to do that because the blood of Jesus has already been spilt and it's applied to my life and it's applied to your life the very same way by faith. Believing that the blood of Jesus can forgive us and cleanse us and free us of anything. And he says to us, okay, great, good. You believe in me now. Put your shirt on. Put your shoes on, pick up your stick, let's not stay stuck, let's go. So, oh, church, put your shirt on, 
Put your shoes on. Pick your stick up. Follow Jesus into the unknown, which is freedom and liberty, liberty and everything that he has for us. Some next steps for you to consider. Maybe for you this morning, you just need to receive the blood. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you're like, Jesus, you're real. My sin is great. Your blood is greater. And I believe that you died for my sin. And I believe that your blood needs to be applied so that I can experience forgiveness and cleansing now. Would you receive the blood today and be saved, be rescued, be redeemed, be brought out, and be brought into the very family of God? For some of you, you need to get dressed. You need to put your shoes on, and you need to get your stick, and you need to walk out of bondage. I don't know what's going on in your heart, in your life. I'm not sitting up here thinking, well, they do, and they do, and they. Listen, Spirit of God is working right now, and there's some of you right now that maybe nobody even knows what bondage you're in right now, and you need to put your shirt on, put your shoes on, and get your stick And you need to follow Jesus, and you need to experience the freedom that he has. Would you do that today? Would you believe in Jesus, and not merely believe in him with your head, but believe in him with your heart, to the point that you're willing to get your feet and put one in front of the other in following Jesus and allow him to change your life forever? Let's pray.